Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hello there. We are getting towards the end of 2018. And as has been our tradition now, uh, holidays are the time for traditions, as has been the tradition for Compliance Beat over the last couple of years that we've been in existence, uh, we tend to take a look back uh, and talk about trends um, and then take a look forward as we head into the new year and and talk about things that might be happening uh, as we move down the road. Uh, in the past, those uh, trend discussions have tend to be rather broad. I, I think that's fair to say. I think that's helpful, and I think it's good to to kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, put your finger to the wind and and think about some of the bigger uh, ticket items that are ongoing. Uh, but for this uh, holiday season, uh, I wanted to do a little something a little bit different, and this is the first part of a two-part uh, podcast. Uh, uh, set of podcasts where we're going to be talking about some practical trends, uh, compliance program trends that we have seen uh, over the last year. Um, I'm going to talk about three today and then next week we'll uh, upload a podcast uh, that has three more. So we'll talk about uh, six different uh, trends, practical trends, uh, program trends that I have uh, seen Um, organizations engaging in over the last year or so that I've worked with organizations on specifically or that I know uh, from talking to a lot of people um, that they're thinking about or implementing uh, as they go on. Uh, So some things to think about, some some trends that are are not necessarily brand new for 2018, but certainly things that I see uh, from my experience and what I see other organizations doing are are something that uh, are a few trends that people are really concentrating on. But first, before we do that, as always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Uh, it makes a difference to us. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions for future episodes, uh, particularly as we're planning out our new year, uh, please do get in touch with us. You can reach us uh, from our website at compliancebeat.com, moreheadconsulting.com, or you can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. I'm always happy to hear from everyone. As I think I mentioned in the last podcast, we also have an upcoming webinar for those of you who, uh, as you head into the new year, uh, have a new project that includes updating your code of conduct. Well, we have the webinar for you. Uh, Updating your code of conduct best practices will uh, happen live on January 17th, 2019 uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central. Uh, and that is in uh, conjunction with the Clear Law Institute. Uh, this has been approved for CLE credits. I believe that they also do CCEP credits, but I'll have to check on that and I'll update you next week on that. But if you want to sign up, there will be a link uh, to the registration page in the show notes on compliancebeat.com for this episode. Uh, or you can go to clearlawinstitute.com. Uh, and enter uh, updating your code of conduct best practices or my name, Eric Moorhead. And the uh, upcoming webinar should come up 
uh, and you'll be able to register that way. Otherwise, uh, check out the link in the show notes at compliancebeat.com for this episode, and we'll put it up for the uh, subsequent episodes until January the 17th. So join us for that if you are planning or uh, have been planning to work on your code of conduct. So I wanted to talk about some uh, practical program uh, trends. Uh, as I said, I think that that's uh, something that I hear a lot uh, uh, f- from uh, people when they talk to me about the podcast, that they really appreciate talking about practical, sort of real-world examples of what people are doing around their program. And so I wanted to talk about uh, both this week, this is part one, and next week, which will be part two, uh, just a few uh, uh, program trends that I've seen uh, over the last year or so, uh, things that are really um, not necessarily brand new, but that have really been p- picking up steam, if you will, uh, and a lot more uh, adoption across uh, many industries and many sized organizations. And the first is one that we've talked about quite a bit this last year, actually. Uh, and it's really sort of come into its own after being uh, sort of the stepchild, if you will, to uh, formal online training or, or large-scale training, and that's informal compliance communication. Uh, if you go back through the list of our podcasts, if you haven't already listened to all of our podcasts, uh, you'll see that there are several podcasts where I talk about informal communication or communication, uh, uh, working on communication examples with the with uh, middle management, lots of uh, communication episodes over the last year, and that's no accident. Uh, I've been working with a lot of organizations that have really been putting the focus, putting a focus on their informal compliance uh, communication. And really, I, I feel like um, I probably ought to stop saying informal because uh, comms outside of traditional training uh, around compliance issues are becoming much more sophisticated. Uh, the tools that are being used and uh, the um, communication plans that organizations are putting together, the thought, the effort, the resources uh, that go behind uh, compliance communication um, are, are night and day of what they were five years ago. Very easily that. that I, I think I'm very comfortable saying that. And I kind of like to think about the changes and what makes up, what are the characteristics of the tra- the communication programs that I see these days uh, around the three C's. And those three C's are that these communications tend to be very creative and go in different directions than what we traditionally saw. Uh, I don't think it's uh, an overstatement to say five, seven, ten years ago, uh, compliance communications existed primarily as posters. And posters are still very effective, uh, particularly posters that uh, might uh, that use a more creative or uh, uh, interesting design, uh, posters that have QR codes. Uh, that allow people to scan, particularly people who have their phone attached to their hand at all times, scan QR codes and maybe go find more information or go to the code of conduct or go to some sort of portal to find out more about a particular issue. Um, so posters still have a place, but 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 not but a, a evolution uh, on on posters that that uh, around their design is certainly something that I've seen. And creative in doing new types of communication, infographics. Uh, if you Google infographics, if you're like me and you're older uh, and you are not as familiar with infographics, just Google the term infographics and you'll get uh, plenty of examples if you're not exactly sure what that might be. For those of you who are, you know that infographics can be very impactful. You can take a, a one-page 
uh, have uh, some interesting design, a few key concepts, and really, really impart a lot of really helpful and important information about a particular risk topic and uh, perhaps uh, uh, suggest behaviors and processes that you want to see in place uh, inside your organization. So infographics, I see more of that. I see more design within a lot of these communications. It's not, I, again, if we went back 10 years uh, along with posters, the other thing that we would see would be newsletters. And I think that uh, newsletters certainly haven't gone away, but they've evolved. Uh, newsletters now include video, uh, in not, not just video from the CEO. Uh, if we were talking about uh, video messages, five, again, five, six, seven, ten years ago, uh, those video messages, when they existed, were going to be from the CEO talking about uh, the, rel the importance of the program and how everybody needed to uh, uh, be in line with it. Uh, but now uh, we're seeing shorter videos uh, from people throughout the organization, both in management and outside of management. One of the more interesting uh, pieces, uh, sets of videos that I've seen in the last few years came from a rather large uh, engineering organization, international engineering organization, and they had a whole set of really short videos, about maybe 30 seconds long, possibly 60 seconds long, some of the longer ones, and they were people throughout the operation in all at all levels of the organization talking about uh, what ethics, what integrity meant to them, and, and 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 expressing that in their own personalized way. Uh, that's compliance communication. That's potentially very effective, uh, and and that's creative, and that's outside the box. And so creative is the first C. The second C is consistent. Uh, one thing that um, is certainly a change, and I have a couple of clients in the past two to three years that have really ramped up the number of times that they reach out to their uh, employees and other stakeholders with uh, compliance communications. Uh, instead of just being a once a year or, or uh, you know, a couple times a year during compliance week or other events uh, or big sales meetings, we're seeing communication happen on a much more regular uh, basis through dedicated channels uh, for compliance communication. Um, there are more and more organizations that are actually communicating on a monthly basis or, or, or at least that frequently with many different pieces of collateral. So consistency, cons being consistent would be the second C. And then the last one, which is one we talk about all the time whenever we're discussing written standards, training, communications, any kind of uh, touch point uh, with your audience out there, you need to be clear. Uh, so the other thing that uh, that is true with a lot of the uh, newer communication materials that I've seen over the last few years is that they are very clear. And maybe we could even add a fourth C that goes along with clear and that's concise, uh, short, to the point, direct. Uh, really, really hitting the key issues that are most important to the stakeholders and really apply to um, the risk topics in a way that makes sense to them in their day-to-day. Uh, -day. So that would be the first thing uh, that I wanted to talk about today that's, that is a clear trend, uh, is the evolution of compliance communication. And I, again, I think I need to stop calling it informal because it's not informal anymore. It's, it's much more uh, directed much more planned than it was uh, a few years back and, and that's a that's an important change and an important trend the second trend uh, practical program trend that I've seen 
uh, really pick up steam over the last year. Um, it's been around certainly for a while, and it's certainly something that is in the sentencing guidelines uh, and in guidance from the Department of Justice, and that's organizations being much more proactive about their compliance risk, less reactive, less uh, uh, reactionary to um, failures or breaches or misconduct that happens, but being much more proactive about addressing potential compliance risk. Um, what this means in practical terms is having a plan uh, for periodic review of the program uh, or risk assessment, uh, looking for those compliance risks, uh, evaluating uh, what the uh, organization has done to address those risks, what controls are in place, uh, and the effectiveness of those controls and the program overall in addressing those risks. Uh, so, so really, uh, it's it's having some sort of plan, either a plan that you know for organizations that have been doing this for a longer period of time that's sometimes wrapped up in the overall ERM process or a broader risk management process. Uh, but for more and more organizations, this is a separate process, looking at the compliance function, uh, looking at compliance risks separately, uh, considering those risks, and doing it on a periodic basis, having a methodology behind it, having a, uh, a process um, that includes uh, not only evaluating the program for effectiveness, uh, but making uh, necessary changes or having a process in place for making necessary changes to address any uh, potential gaps that are found during that uh, proactive process. Um, uh, many organizations going back to you know 10 years, 15 years ago, even uh, when I started my career uh, as a criminal defense attorney and we would sometimes do internal investigations and part of that process would uh, perhaps either uh, include or or work in conjunction with some sort of risk uh, risk assessment of compliance risks. There, there are organizations that have been doing this for a long time, but it's been uh, haphazard is probably not fair, but, but certainly not consistent and certainly not uh, on a uh, rigorous schedule. Uh, I don't think, I, th I think as we move forward, the, the trend definitely is that organizations have to have a plan uh, for evaluation in this regard. That can't be something that's ad hoc, that they're, well, we're, we're going to do that, or we did that five years ago, we'll do it again at some point, but, but be much more precise as to uh, reviewing uh, the program. And I've done podcasts on this in the past and I will in the future. Um, that process doesn't need uh, need to be so daunting uh, that you just ignore it. Uh, there are ways to tackle it. There are ways to tackle it in pieces. Um, and uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that here because that's something, again, that we've addressed in the past and we'll address in the future. But uh, thinking about what your process is, thinking if you have a process, <laughs> and thinking about what your process is is certainly something I think that is in line with what a lot of other organizations are doing. And the trend is definitely to have something that's very much more concrete than what we've seen in the past, um, is proactive, uh, is, uh, is a repeatable process that's happening much more frequently than uh, perhaps was happening uh, a few years ago. 
The third thing, and this is a big topic uh, that has been a, a definitely growing trend now for the last few years, but is really coming into its own over the last couple of years, and that's gathering more and different types of data, uh, more metrics around the program. Um, you know, organizations uh, have been gathering metrics around compliance programs forever. Um, you know, even the most uh, unsophisticated uh, compliance program, uh, if they have uh, a training um, uh, component to their program, uh, usually can tell you how many, you know, the percentage of people who have been trained. You know, that's a very basic me metric that's been around forever. But even within training as a subset, uh, we're seeing more and more metrics. Uh, there are many, particularly on online training, there are many systems out there from many providers uh, that provide a lot more detail about how people are uh, taking the training, uh, where they are having issues, uh, what particular um, topics or, 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 or questions or scenarios are providing the most difficulty for the learners so that you can really hone in on potential problem areas. You can get a lot more information out of your LMS, out of LMS systems, or out of uh, training uh, tools. Uh, than you could have a few years ago and I certainly see many more organizations collecting that data. Um, uh, there was uh, sort of a um, chicken and the egg argument of, uh, a few years ago when this first started happening uh, where uh, there was some concern that you'd see some pushback from from particularly from the legal department saying, look, we don't want to know how badly <laughs> some of these employees do on some of these questions, you know, uh, that's uh, because that uh, means that we then need to, to do something about it. Well, yeah, you do. Um, so I think that uh, th th along with these additional, um, this, new, th th this new availability of data and metrics, and again, just using training as an example, comes a responsibility uh, to follow up on that new data. So we don't want to just collect new data. We want to have uh, some idea of what that data means and what that might mean to our program moving forward. If we're evaluate, we're trying to better evaluate the effectiveness of our program through gathering this data, then we need to have a plan about how we're going to implement any proposed um, improvements or changes or uh, trying to fill any gaps that we find when we collect that data. So you have to be prepared to, to act on it if you are collecting it. Um, there's all, also all kinds of other analytics outside of training that uh, um, programs are collecting. I know a lot of organizations, even something as uh, a sort of uh, 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 standard as a code of conduct, uh, a lot of organizations now will get click metrics, not just on how many people open up the PDF and look at it, but how, what pages are they looking at? What uh, sections of the code online are they looking at? Uh, do they, uh, you know, do we have a lot of people that are looking up uh, our gifts and entertainment uh, section of our online code of conduct? Um, uh, how many people are looking at those examples? How long do they stay there? Uh, what uh, where, where are those uh, clicks coming from? What part of the world? What division of the organization? What are the job titles of, of the people that are logged on and looking at that? So, so not just um, through training, but through something as mundane 
uh, you know, I, I, you all know how much I love code of conduct, but so mundane is probably not a fair word, but, but something as um, straightforward as a code of conduct, you can actually, you see a lot of organizations gathering data on their, on the uh, code of conduct's online presence to find out more about what people are looking at, uh, what, uh, what information they're interested in, um, what areas of risk that they perhaps have questions about. Uh, and that's uh, another example. And then uh, the, the other big piece of data that you do see um, organizations really uh, keying in now on in the compliance space here in the last couple of years is, is further testing, uh, going out and really um, uh, uh, once a, for instance, a new policy has been implemented on uh, expense reporting. Uh, and part of that new policy includes perhaps uh, using a, a system or a tool. Going back and working with audit, for example, to find out uh, what the implementation has been. Uh, how successful has it been? Are people actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are they making the right choices? Are they reporting in an accurate way? And if not, maybe that gives you some idea of what you need to better communicate or train on. Uh, it you know, gives you some feedback as to how effective any training uh, policies that are written about the use uh, or, or that particular or dealing with that particular risk are um, and uh, that informal communication we were talking about at the top of this uh, podcast as well how effective has that been if you um, can go out and uh, test and see whether people are doing what you expect them to do once you've delivered that information that can be really really helpful so data is 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 a big change uh, you know more specific use of data and analytics um, the, I think the key takeaway from this is that if you're going to collect that data know what you're collecting it for uh, know what it is um, and know how you're going to handle uh, the answers or the information that it provides to you because uh, last thing you want to do is be, be collecting a lot of data uh, that either you don't know what to do with that data or um, uh, you're not sure what it's really telling you about the effectiveness of your program. Uh, you should know why you're collecting it, you should know what it is, uh, and you should uh, have a, a, a game plan and a roadmap uh, for what you do uh, when the data tells you uh, about certain potential issues, uh, gaps in your program, failure points, um, issues that need to be addressed, you know, areas that perhaps need to be communicated or trained, trained on in a more sufficient way. So those are three things I'm going to, as I said, uh, make this a two-parter. Uh, so I hope that you have uh, pleasant holidays here for the next week or so. Uh, before we get out of the other end of 2019, we'll have one more episode where we'll uh, talk about a couple more uh, uh, program trends that I've seen uh, that I think are worth discussing as we head into the new year. Uh, but until next time, please uh, join us uh, again. Um, please uh, sign up uh, for our um, webinar with uh, Clear Law Institute if you're interested in updating your code or that's something that you know is going to be on the agenda coming up soon. Uh, check out the uh, link in the show notes on compliancebeat.com or go to clearlawinstitute.com and check into that. So thanks very much and until next time. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.